0: All right, guys, we're gathered here today, and we're going to do a podcast with a few people um, on the topic of clients going out their first time, what they're expecting from an elk hunt in the Rocky Mountains. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have Ryan Fuer, which we all know him as Dink. Growing up with him, uh, Dink, you can go ahead and introduce yourself.
1: Well, you just did. I'm uh, Ryan Fuer. Well, that way they hear a voice <laughs> with the name.
0: And That's it, me. We have John Tissue again. Howdy, doody. And then also sitting in is Colby Brooks. Hey, y'all. Now, John has did a bunch of guidance, so he's gonna kind of play whether it's fiction, what is beliefs on hunting, and what is nonfiction. So we're just gonna dive right into it. Um, So clients' expectations uh, versus what is reality. And uh, a lot of times, outfitters feed clients with a bunch of stuff just to get them the book, and then the reality of the hunt isn't actually there. And what are some things, if you guys were booking an archery elk hunt, what would you expect from the outfitter? Like well, just, how about
1: this? When you say a lot of the times outfitters feed clients a bunch of BS to get them there, how often do you think that happens?
0: Well, I'm oh, I'm saying it happens a bunch.
1: How many licensed outfitters are in Montana?
0: I don't know that off the ballpark. Way. Thousands.
1: Percent wise, what's of them are full of shit?
0: I hope to say not a lot of them, but guys that are getting out of it guys that are in tight spots i think that they they don't really talk the physicality of the hunt to and they're limited on booking people so they just try to sell it like a used car salesman
2: i wouldn't necessarily limit that
0: to the state of montana only i'd say it covered
2: you know the, the whole well the whole area of outfitting industry in it's general. business at right. the end of the day yeah. right and yeah.
1: see here's what differentiate differentiates you being new to the business, relatively young, and a hardcore hunter, right? Yep. From somebody who's, say, been in the business for 25 or 30 years, and they have bills to pay, miles to feed, et cetera, et cetera. I get both sides of it, actually. I mean, from a business perspective, you don't want to tell people... If if the hunting's horrible, right? Let's just say in the whitetail world, if you had CWD or EHD come through and wipe out all your deer, man, you don't really want to say that. You know what I mean? Or if you get... Let's just say you're at the Harrisburg Sports Show and a group of four guys comes up and all of them are <laughs> overweight and your hunt is rugged and you know it's rugged and for them to be successful, they're going to have to lace up their boots and get after it and you're sitting there looking at them and you don't think they can quite cut it. Do you, do you tell them, look, I don't think you're cut out for me or do you just say, hey, we'll do the best we can?
0: I tell them we'll do the best we can for sure. Right. But I also tell them that the name of the game on archery elk hunting is cover and ground. You have to find cows in heat. If you're not finding that, it's going to be very hard to have that bugling action that you think that that elk hunt should entail with.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. there, it, I think that would be my number one tip to anybody <clears throat> as far as what to expect going out west. Would be number one thing you can do is get yourself in the best physical condition you can possibly get yourself in. From no matter what state you're coming
1: from, right? That and that's any hunt. Mm, I mean, sure. it's life in general. You're just going to do life better if you're in better shape,
0: right? Yeah, definitely. And guys, coming from whitetail hunting, most most guys that want to go elk hunting. I mean, they that clients are. Clients that are coming elk hunting with an outfitter are most of the time coming from the East Coast, so that they're whitetail hunters and they've been sitting in tree stands and they don't understand the physicality a lot of times. And I'm not cutting that it's not everybody wants to lift weights and have neck giant to go shoot bow and arrow and kill whitetails, but the like your heart rate, the physicality of like climbing a mountain, the vertical feet that you have to go up every morning, is Usually, a bunch more than white tail guys used to having They're not most of them aren't mountain hunters.
1: Well, they're not. So again, back to perspective. It's it's there's so many variables to this like when you say a lot of outfitters maybe don't promote exactly what they're selling, right? Or they don't. They're a little bit dishonest, or not dishonest, or they're business people. <clears throat> but there's a lot of variables involved. Like I said, when it's down to business, at the end of the day, it's about the bottom line. If your bottom line's below the black you're you're losing money and you're going to be out of business right so you have to do what you have to do and <clears throat> from a you say you know most hunters that end up out west are whitetail hunters think of this 84 percent of license sold in the united states are east of the mississippi so that's where everybody lives and every most of everybody hunts within 20 minutes of their home you know so when they book a trip with you that is that quote unquote once in a lifetime deal. You know, whatever the five or six thousand dollars that they give you, that's their once in a lifetime. There's you could it's probably I'm just throwing this number out there, but I'm guessing it's less than easily less than ten percent, but probably less than five percent of the people go on more than one elk hunt a year out of state, especially from the east. So they're predominantly all going to be whitetail hunters, and I would suspect that these guys are in better shape now than they ever were because of the meat eater gang and social media and all the youtube channels out there now you got cam Haines running hundreds of miles and you got everybody doing what they're doing you, the what's the uh the uh Hushing, mountain ops yeah, you mountain know you hop, got that Hushin whole guys, deal yeah, yeah all those guys are doing so probably if you rewind the clock 10 or 15 years you probably saw people in worse shape going out there yeah i'd probably i probably agree with that
0: definitely it the definitely calls <clears throat> let me tell you the calls have changed tremendously since i've started in 2004 i mean you you could just go down to the local gas station now and you can pick up a call back then we made our own bugle tubes if you wanted a solid bugle tube you made it out of a wiffle ball bat something of that nature if you bought something at a store carried, we had to travel an hour to grab a bugle tube in spokane or or sandpoint idaho and they're terrible they're little squealy bugle tubes and you just the sounds weren't very good Nowadays guys are making rock solid elk sounds and doing a lot of bugling and a lot of challenge type of calling because that's what's all over social media. What do you guys think of like how the actual media like plays out in elk hunt like if you were like to listen to any type of elk production on media whatsoever are they are they like what are you thinking are they you're expecting elk to be fired up, bugling. I mean, what are you guys expecting to come you mean into the like, hunt? What are your are our
2: expectations of an elk hunt versus what you see on TV or yeah, no, like in uh, social media? In I think I can. Yeah, a let little me Josh and he's so
3: yeah. I've never been out there listening bugling to bugling elk.
1: Yeah, well, <clears throat> I've, as Josh pointed out, I've never bow hunted for elk, but I have hunted to west. Now, me being around hunting my whole life or immersed in the industry we're 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 potentially speaking to some of your oncoming clients right so when they're looking at social media or the outdoor channel or the pursuit channel or what have you the first thing i look at from what i know and very minimal knowledge i guess on elk hunting (coughs) compared to you guys the first thing i look at is what state they're in right because it varies by state you go colorado it's over the counter it's high pressure i mean everyone their brother heads to colorado and they go Mm -hmm. elk hunting
2: so seasons are five to six days long a lot shorter window of just capitalize on
1: right and and so i would expect if i go to somewhere like colorado to buy an over-the-counter tag and go hunting i'm going to have to hunt my ass off to even maybe hear an animal let alone see one or kill one right but then if i look at a hunt on youtube or pursuit or outdoor channel it's in new mexico or arizona right that's a whole different ball game because those are very limited states very limited tags um somebody's going to go there so if we're talking about somebody's booking a hunt the first thing they're going to look at as far as how they're going to set their expectations up is where they're going to book their hunt at. If they're going to book a hunt in New Mexico, I would assume that their expectations could be a little bit higher than booking a hunt in Colorado or Montana maybe or Utah or what have you, right? Um, same thing with Arizona. I think that's, that plays a big part, and that's what I look at. as far. If I'm hearing screaming bulls on a YouTube video, I look and see where they're hunting. And most of the time, screaming bulls and one after another— is in arizona new mexico places like
0: that mm-hmm. well i'll describe our area for what our clients are going to go through the first thing that they think of everybody talks in northwest has been destroyed by wolves that's they've shut the elk up the wolves have quieted the whole entire woods down and then second of all i try to i try to sell the hunt off of it being very rugged in our area so it makes it less hunters in the area i mean that of the guys are out of it right off the gate because they get out of the truck and they're like, dude, that's nasty terrain, blowdowns. Dudes don't want to do it. So I feel that the more rugged terrain that you go to, you can eliminate some of that pressure that you were just talking about in Colorado, those type areas also. So when you're looking at an area to go elk hunt, maybe look for those wilderness areas, those tucked back in nasty places that maybe not that many people are going and hunting. Maybe the kill percentage is way down. But the hunting pressure isn't there, and when calling an elk, you don't want a bunch of people in the woods. Dudes blowing bugles through the brush is the last thing that you want to ever hear on an elk hunt.
1: Well, I can say this: I have a one of my best friends is he lives just just in Missoula, and he hunt. He's grew up there, and he's killed a trainload of elk, trainload of big mule deer, and he says the last five to seven years, it is you know the last he he rides a mountain bike the last bull he kills 18 miles in and uh he said he just that's what he has to do to get away from everybody and this mm-hmm. was what he said it's you know and you can i ask him specifically i mean i'm talking about the last two weeks we talked about it what's he attributed to <laughs> and it's the social media it's mm-hmm. this the podcast everyone their brother mm-hmm. has a podcast now and he said everybody comes from wherever they're coming from and they got an elk call and uh, they're blowing a bugle tube and, you know, this, yep. that, and the other, and the hunting's getting hard. He's actually finding better success just wait, he don't even – not that he doesn't hunt, but the later seasons when people – when the snow starts flying and it gets more rugged, I mean, he can get in on elk, and there's hardly anybody around. But that mm-hmm. September, October, he said it is just <laughs> bumper to bumper, man. It sucks. So I i guess my my question is being
3: that I've never – been on a archery hunt or or booked a guided archery hunt. So, I guess my thing is, if I'm scrolling through the internet looking at guides, if I haven't made it out to a sportsman show to talk face to face with an outfitter,
0: do you think that's crucial the sports shows to actually?
3: Well, yes, I think I think it would be a good opportunity to to have that conversation with face to face with somebody. But if you do not have that opportunity and you're scrolling through outfitters trying to okay you you have you have your heart set on you know a montana archery hunt what are the key points that okay i'm i'm looking to book something what key points am i looking for it your outfitter or another outfitter that like okay i'm definitely booking this hunt at this outfitter
0: guys come up to me and they're like private ground how much private ground are you hunting on private or public and the second that you say public land you can watch the excitement on their face they read all the banners they read they look at the prices it's meets up everything and you say public land and instantly they think about public land in the east a lot of hunters a lot of Mm -hmm. traffic which that's maybe not it in every area in the west i mean john you can speak for some of the areas
2: yeah a question i always got asked a lot was how do you access your hunts like are you walking in or are you driving in, and walking from there do you have horseback and you know the deeper you can get like we said already the better off you're going to find you know them untouched animals that haven't been really called to that much haven't really been fooled with and the deeper you can
0: get and the you know the better off you are just then i've always asked that question yeah so a guy says man a private ground hunt is where a lot of less less people nobody can just go there out of the blue diy guys So I'm probably going to think that outfitter is not going to have a ton of hunting pressure. And if he doesn't have 6,000 acres, he's not even going to hold one herd of elk because you're talking an animal that can travel five miles from where it fed to where it just went and bed it down. So that's a humongous amount of ground. So back to the area, I would pick an outfitter that has a large amount of area to hunt and different that he can go north and hunt if weather permits it or he can drop south, that his area is large enough that he can get into different terrain different vegetation within those hunting units that's uh, another
2: good point you could look for <clears throat> when talking to an outfit or two is do they do base camps where you're in a camp in the same camp all week or are you in a lodge where you can come back and you have the access to go you know you went like you just said north of the lodge that day you could go completely 10 miles away in the other direction or 30 miles whatever it is you can get you're not stuck into one base camp where you have to hunt out of base camp by horseback or walking every day you're not stuck in the same but you asked
1: the question is it important to talk to an outfit or a sports show i think for a first time hunter from the east it's imperative what no, no. it's it's almost imperative um
3: to, to have that one-on-one i
1: would like, think like
3: i mean to have that connection
1: yeah i mean you can look on the web and you can look on youtube and but here, at the end of the day, you have to keep in the back of your mind for a first time hunter, an outfitter is only gonna put their best of the best on mm-hmm. the web or the YouTube, yeah. right? Like right? They're gonna edit all the stuff out that you, they don't want you to see type of deal. So, and another thing, I think for to be a successful elk hunter with a guide, um, you need to mesh with your guide or the outfitter, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if you two come from two completely different areas of life, right? And you're just constantly butting heads the whole time. It's just not going to work. It's like it's like a relationship at that point. It's a seven-day relationship. I mean, you Absolutely. have to. You know, yeah. so I think it's really important to, to meet with an outfitter at a sports show, you know, see what he looks like, you know, get to know him, his mannerisms, this, that, and the other. And then, you know, even if you book the hunt then, and then between then and your hunt, you know, you're calling him or you're texting him, whatever, you know, just develop that relationship because that is just such an icebreaker right off the bat that you know will allow you, and you guys know when, whenever you can let your guard down around somebody, you just you, you, you
2: move more freely, right? Well, you just do yeah. things and, better. And more into that, the the better relationship you can establish with the outfitter you plan on booking a hunt with, and the better you guys can get to know each other, the better chance that outfitter has at, at pairing you with the guide, one of his
0: guides that fits your needs
2: as well. Right, good point. Yeah.
0: Exactly, and that's what I was about to say that that guide should fill that void mm-hmm. with that client. Mm-hmm. Whenever he looks, that outfitter he makes a decision. It's like pairing you up, and then the guide when he assesses the client, he's gonna look at the weaknesses and strengths, and he's gonna put his weaknesses and strengths, and they're gonna make maximize their time. That's just
3: not a out west thing. Like I look at the way that we grew up. We we all have the same kind of mentality and kind of you place yourself around the people that that motivates you
1: no definitely and, and that's just like yes and yeah. that, that's not a yeah and, and i'm the oldest one at the table so i can tell you the older you get especially for me the less friends i have which i don't know if i'm just miserable <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, i'm real picky in who i hunt with i mean yeah. honestly it's just i've kind of been around the block um it, i know how i like to hunt it's, aside from family of course but you know when i get invited on a lot of different hunts and you know my previous job you know it was hunt after hunt after hunt and uh i'm real picky on who I'm with. Like, yeah. i want like i want to get along with somebody i, I want to mesh with those people because i kind of get after it you mm-hmm. know what i mean and and i'm also the type that'll go with the flow so if i'm matched up with somebody that doesn't want to get after it i don't want to ruin their hunt mm-hmm. by being a guy that wants to be hardcore so i'll kind of hang back you know what i mean and so, I've just kind of learned over time to pick and choose on, on how yeah. I do things. We we have this conversation all the time, John, John and I, about,
3: okay, well, you know, we, we we have two weeks to actually get after
2: it and get hunting. Right. And and, and most people that book a hunt, they're only going to be on a six-day hunt. So, you're showing up on a Sunday and you're hunting Monday through Saturday, you know, you're going to want to make the most out of every, all your daylight hours to, you know, get in there and get after it the best you can.
1: Yeah.
2: So... From the guide perspective you said about, you know, when you were pairing
1: clients with guides, that brings up a really good point from the business side of things that <clears throat> you know there's a lot more to being a guide and an outfitter than just knowing how to kill animals. A whole lot more. Because Way at the more. end of the day, you gotta manage people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So hundred percent. You know, yeah. Josh is trying to run a business as the outfitter. The guides are his employees and you can have the best elk hunter in the world. If, if there were a way to rank them, you know, best in the world, and he's working for you, but he is not a people person, or she is not a people person, it's not going to work out. Like, so uh, the guides, and I've been around a lot of people that went to the guide school, you know, growing up around here, especially I'm going to be a guy, be a guy, be a guide. It's a lot more than just to hunting elk or mule deer and packing out an animal. I mean, there's a whole business relationship that you have to understand. And that sell... You know, you you have to be able to sell. Somebody told me a long time ago, 30 years ago, if you're not able to sell, you can't do anything in life. And At the time, I was thinking, who in hell wants to be a car salesman? That's what I kept (laughs) thinking. I I, I equated a sell to a a car salesman, right? But the older I get, the more I realize that it's right. Everything you do in life, you have to be able to sell at some point. I mean, I don't even know what you do for a living, Mm -hmm. but you have to be able to sell yourself, or you have to be able to sell a product at some point. That's the same thing with the guides. Mm-hmm. and you know if you from an outfitter's perspective you made up a, a, a that's a great point you have to
0: pair the right guy with the right client let's let's talk about you a minute or Dink, for just a second you've been like molded you've been in this industry trying to live a life close to the outdoors <laughs> for quite some time clear back from shooting bow making it a living to yeah qdma to you...
1: I, yeah you know um from an early age i guess i'm one of the few that can say from about eight years old i've not done anything in my life except for the last two years that hasn't been in the outdoor industry related so i'm 45 so do the math i don't know 30 some years uh, at my point you know i've made a living i worked i worked in the industry some way shape or form shooting shooting archery owning an archery shop uh you know worked for uh, bow companies um to the, uh, working for the nonprofit conservation orgs, to you know, here I am type of deal. Yeah, yeah, so
0: I've been around. So you've been molding, selling yourself in this outdoor industry for a long <laughs> time.
1: Yeah, I guess I, it's funny you say. It. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's just it's just what I've always done. Um, the older I get, it's easy for me to say that arena is where I belong. Right, especially the older I get now. <laughs> so when I was younger, in my early twenties, it was hunting and fishing. You know, man, I was, you know, bloody knuckles, like I said. Every day I was doing something, shooting a bow, hunting a whitetail deer, calling a turkey or fishing this, that, and the other. And then it it was like at some point you start to evolve and you start thinking about the conservation side, right? You want to protect everything that I love so much, everything that allows me to be who I am. And I think from... uh, a societal standpoint, we've gotten further and further away from it. I think about it. Less than 4% of America buy a license, less than 4%. So that's a very small uh, demographic, right? That's a very small number. So there's a lot of people out there that don't want us to be able to do what we do. Uh, not, not necessarily don't want us to be able to do what we do, but don't understand why we do it and mm-hmm. why it's there. So We can kill an animal
0: and then love it yeah. by adding conservation into it
1: yeah and it's so at the end of the day the older i get it's it's become more about conservation than it is about you know like i say the bloody knuckles hunting and fishing every day you know it's i still do that but i mean and i probably do it more now because i'm involved in habitat management which i mean i'm year round every there's not a day i guarantee you there is not a day that goes by unless i'm sick that i'm not doing something even on you know where i live where i hunt or for somebody else there it's just habitat management wise food plot wise trail cameras turkeys i mean squirrels you name it you know with the little kids we're it's constant
0: so everybody identifies as something john was a guide in montana and now he works for the railroad colby works for the railroad also i'm an outfitter and you've pretty much taking the title as like a hunter for 30 years and like dedicated your <laughs> life as i mean when do you like when do you like start to like try to sell yourself as a hunter that's a hard sale i mean honestly and to be able to do it that long is really yeah you know
1: cool. it is and that's how i know like there's a lot of people start out as hunters very passionate um and they i don't want to say they give up but life gets in the way right and they stop exactly i think and I, I somebody asked me one time, and I, I can tell you the person, and I won't, but I could tell you where I was. It was at a QDMA event, and we were talking about a hunting trip. And somebody said, "Man, you hunt a lot." I just couldn't imagine hunting all that time. And I remember sitting there thinking, I couldn't imagine not hunting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, and from that day forward, I've thought about that conversation. I wouldn't know what to do when october november came like what the hell would i do like like i don't I cry a lot
2: <laughs> i mean oh uh, it's september again i'm stuck out here instead of an elkwood yeah
1: like it's just i just don't know so i don't make any excuses for it. it is who i am i love it and you know what i try to get everybody involved as i can it's just it's just what i do
0: it's an ongoing thing trying to get hunting to the next level i mean honestly because kids coming into it social media and things like do a lot for people our age and i think guys have money they don't really can go on these hunts until they're in their 30s they're established like you said Mm
1: -hmm. yeah you know i I could talk about that too um so i used to keep a lot of tracks and i used to put in a lot of when i was let me get this number right when i was 11 years old Somebody my grandfather bought me a subscription to Field and Stream magazine a lifetime subscription. And one of the first magazines I got a guy killed a bighorn sheep with a 280 Remington Mountain rifle. And I read that article I bet a thousand times. 11-year-old boy from Southwestern PA and all I wanted to do is kill a bighorn sheep. Like that was all I wanted to do. My first deer mm-hmm. rifle was a 280 Mountain rifle. <laughs> Still have it till today. So when I was 15, I started, I was mowing grass and working for a lady, the cleaner swimming pool and stuff, and I had some money I started putting in, in Wyoming, because that's the state he killed that sheep in, for bighorn sheep tags. I started to figure that out. Long story short, I put in from 15 to 23, and then I missed a few years back and forth, and now I'm still putting in. Anyway, I've never drawn a bighorn sheep tag in Wyoming. That's what I was sitting here <laughs> wondering, <laughs> if you actually, have you actually drawn it yet? No. So... <laughs> It, when you talk about the money and the dreams and everything like that, I, I have a hard time with when you see all this stuff on social media and you see all this stuff on YouTube and you see all this. like You either have to have at this, this day and age a big pocketbook. Let me rewind a little bit. When I was 15 years old, you could go on a bighorn sheep hunt on a, and buy a tag for thirty-five hundred bucks, right? And I remember being fifteen. Like, that may as well have been a million dollars to me. That's a goose hunt now. Right? Exactly. So now, what? Now what's a big horn yeah. sheep hunt? Twenty
0: grand? Yeah, fifteen for sure. Yeah,
1: fifteen thousand. So, I mean, when you look at the price of stuff and uh, what it costs to do this, and then somebody from the east who may the east who may have the money, and you talk about expectations of an outfitter, et cetera, et cetera, if you're putting down that kind of money. You should be in shape. You should be ready for this. You
0: should, you know, this, that, and the other. You would think that everybody would show up in shape, but they don't always have the right terrain to get in shape, and they're always worried, "What do I need to do to get in shape?" So, stop ma-
1: eating sugar. Yeah,
2: anything is better than nothing. Yeah, like I, there's nothing gonna prepare you for the for the mountains out west. I mean, to be honest, nothing's gonna get you in the shape that you need to be, but why sit around and do absolutely nothing load a backpack up with some chains get 40 50 pounds in there hike whatever terrain you got jog around anything is better than you don't need anything like i am people come up with every excuse under the sun why they won't
1: lose weight and get in shape Mm -hmm. at the end of the day i mean we're in a 15 by 15 kitchen there's everything you need right here to get in shape your body weight and a square exactly you know, you (laughs) know what i mean like so you follow David Goggins on on yep, social media? I and just a couple of posts ago, he was like, "I get emails all the time about people wanting to be fat, they're too fat, and want to know what they can do. Stop being fucking lazy. That's right. <laughs> exactly 100. Instead of eating breakfast, go for a run.
0: Instead of eating uh, dinner, go for a run. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm Literally, dude. Kind of <laughs> so that being lazy, so guys spend all this money to go on an elk hunt, and then come midweek, they're like throwing a towel in. They're, yeah. They're crying uncle. I mean, so, but see, that's where you as an outfitter, this is their
2: vacation. This is their Mm -hmm. time. You can't force somebody to hunt like you. And that's where the professional part comes in that you have to learn that. How, you know, by noon on Monday, you should have a pretty good feel of what the rest of the week, how you need to hunt your guy. Because just, you know, the first walk in in the daylight, you can hear him breathing behind you. You know, and then by midday, they're tripping on sticks they weren't three hours ago. You kind of get a feel of you know where this guy is physically and how hard you can hunt, you know, without even saying anything to anybody else. You know, you know in your mind that this guy is either gonna we're gonna go balls to the wall all week, or tomorrow we're gonna have to take it a little bit easier than today and see what Wednesday's like and just keep. That's you a know. great
1: point, man, and that's that's what keeps people coming back when you recognize what somebody's going through like mm-hmm. you say by noon on monday right right then you know by noon on tuesday you're going to build a fire and hang out a little bit
2: you it, know what i mean you know just pace yourself to where you that you're still hunting and you're still in it where you want to be but your guy is still having to like his it is his once in a lifetime hunt mm-hmm. or whatever it yes. is his vacation and to just go out there and slay him the first two days and they leave on wednesday or thursday or quit or say mm-hmm. hey i'll to take a day off you know, they didn't book a hunt to take Wednesday off to, to lay in and, and lick their wounds for a day. You know, you got gotta that comes back to your guide and your professionalism. Hey, don't kill this guy because, you know, we got six days of this. It's day one or two, and, and just pace yourself and hunt. You know, you're only as fast as your weakest link, and, and they're, at the end
0: of the day, they're the ones shooting, so why, why butcher them, you know? Right. So all of our hunts, John keeps saying six days because – Our hunting outfit, since we've worked together since 2004 at that place, they are six-day hunts. A lot of places have five days. Some are not a lot or four, but most of them are five-day hunts. We offer six. And on a six-day hunt, you got to think, you are going to get a crash course in elk hunting. Most of you have not been out west. So you're going to come there, and every little mistake that you make, those bulls are going to pick up on it. And those rookie mistakes, like I said, they're going to be – pick up on it and gone. So when you learned to bow hunt, you had to take time. How many deer did you blow before you learned to stand up? When to knock your arrow, when to draw back? You have to learn all those timings. It's almost like taking a youth kid turkey hunting for the first few times. It's like, exactly you wouldn't have did that, you know. Well, tried, tried to spin at the wrong time. <clears throat> tried to draw way too early or way too late. And you always see these hunting channels guys are drawn and they're holding forever. <laughs>
1: And yeah, people don't realize a lot of that's B-roll. Exactly,
0: exactly. <laughs> As a first time
3: archery hunter that's going out west, what are your recommendations or what would you tell me that I should be doing to prepare for my hunt, my archery hunt of a lifetime? What should I be doing? Should I be practicing you know, short range, long range? What skills should I hone before I put this money down on this, on this
0: big elk hunt? So let's just talk about a shooting aspect first. Anytime you shoot long distance, short distance is going to be easier, correct? Absolutely. For practice, you're saying? Yeah. I mean, you see these total archery challenges. They have, what, the Western Hunter and their shots from 60 to 100 yards. They're not telling you to take 60 and 100-yard shots. They're trying to make you a better shot by shooting those long distances. And then, well, I'm hoping whenever the chance comes about, the distances are going to be way shorter, ethically for an elk. You have to have a heavy arrow set up, or you're not going to get penetration. So those long 80, 90-yard shots, if you're not set up, you're not killing that elk. You can 10-ring him, and you're going to pump one lung, and he is going to run down in some nasty hole, not bleeding, and I'm going to get the rack to you in two weeks, maybe three weeks, I'll find that bull when Ravens are on it, but we're not going to get any meat. You're not going to kill that elk.
1: Well, that's a good point, and that's a great question, like from an Eastern standpoint, what to expect. <clears throat> being around archery my whole life, I'm a big proponent of, I think, one of the biggest problems with archery nowadays is, is just social media. There's a lot of good that comes from it, don't get me wrong, in YouTube, but these long shots. Mm-hmm. You know, animals move. Mm-hmm. I don't care oh, yeah. how good you are on a target at 170 yards or whatever it is.
2: That's what a controlled environment controlled Yeah, I mean,
1: there, that is so unrealistic it's not even funny you know and at one point you know and i've i've had every hunter or shooter under the sun you know just tell me how good they are at 80 yards and it's like listen it's way different on a whitetail on a uh, on an elk what what have you so like josh said heavy arrow you need a heavy arrow for penetration. Yep, if you squad. have a heavy arrow, your your trajectory is going you're gonna have much more trajectory than a lighter arrow. so your your yardage or your range, effective range should be shorter. I'm a big proponent of shorter the better. You know, being a bow hunter is a responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. It's a big difference than being a rifle hunter. Like you have to let scenarios play out. There is a line in the sand when oh, they're yeah. too far. When you're a gun hunter, I mean, there is a line in a sand where they're too far, but it might be 1,200 yards. You know what I mean? When you're a bow hunter, that line, uh, according to your ability, might be 30 yards, and that's fine. Yeah. But that's the responsibility, and that's the key word there of being a bow hunter, yeah. is the responsibility. And to be an ethical bow hunter, you need to identify what your effective range is before you go somewhere. But the problem and the misconception with the total... It, the total archery challenge i i can i can i can argue a little bit because these guys make great shots on 107 yard targets mm-hmm. and think they can do it on an elk listen that that 3d silhouette is not a live elk i mean <laughs> it's it's a lot I, different yeah. and most of the time you just shot 20 shots before you know what i mean yeah. so you're you're loosened up yeah i mean like i, I just i i get it Shooting long distance makes you a better shooter for sure, but you need to also make the conscious decision that you're not going to shoot whatever that number may be. Right, having dog.
2: your mind, me personally, 40 yards is my mind. I
1: used to do the show circuit a lot, and this is whitetail hunting, guys would say, it was it always astonished me that they would talk about the bigger the buck, the the further their yardage would be. And, you know, oh, you know, this big giant buck, i take a shot at him at 70 yards. Well, I was always the opposite mindset. Yeah, me like, too. Why would I want to wound that deer when <laughs> so. if I let him walk and he catches, his, you know, most of the time you're talking the rut if you're bow hunting big white tail deer, I mean, he might catch a hot doe in 10 minutes and be 12 yards. You know what I mean? Like if I shoot him in the guts or in the front leg, I'm never going to see him again.
0: You know what I mean? At 60, 70 yards. So pairing up the question with what are the distance you should practice on, I think it goes along with that question of where, what terrain are you hunting? So, me as a guide, whenever I look at a scenario, I'm sitting up on top of a saddle or bench and all of a sudden bull bugles, all right, I'm getting my thermals right, I'm looking at ridges. I'm not looking to jump into bowls because the wind's swirling there. And I'm looking for thick areas. And with those wide open 70, 80 yard shots, in my opinion, I'd say the guide. Something happened in that scenario that made that bull come in that far. The elk is only going to come until the cover allows him to see and peer through that calling setup. The second that that elk could, thinks that he can see another elk, the, okay, so the guy's back there calling, raking, slamming stuff, and he's got the client set up, and usually a triangle, if I'm to like, set this scenario up in your mind. and The way I do it, I have one guy that I always cover as my downwind wash. He is the guy that is covering our back door, our six. He's watching. If a bull's trying to sneak around a satellite, gonna come in downwind and see the calling set up or get a wind of us. The main animal that we're calling in is gonna come into an area where the cover stops and he can look into where the guide is calling and hopefully he comes past, he comes through that client. And your shots at that distance for us are 35 yards and under. Like max. Yeah, they, it's thick in our terrain, which is great for archery hunting. Yeah, and not
2: only for cover for the shooter, but also like you said, just like turkey hunting, they come in looking for a hen. Those bulls come in looking for a cow, looking for another bull. It's whatever you're calling, and
0: the thicker it is, the more you know you can hide, and the better. So you have to like play a complete scenario. And now we were we were talking earlier about hunting pressures in area, and you have guys that are making a lot of elk sounds and can get a lot of. They have access to a lot of calls. And they're very crisp and clear on making elk sounds, but can they converse with a bull? Can they actually converse with them elk? Can they read a temperature? Are they just good at making a cow sound, a locating bugle, a challenge bugle, and they've recessed these? They did them constantly in their truck. They've practiced these noises, but they have no idea in a calling setup how to talk to those elk to get them to respond back. I always hear, my guides are like, I just respond – I just copy what the elk are doing. That's what guides tell me all the time across, like, the nation. I'm like, I'll talk to them at sports shows, and I'll just kind of – I'll cue in on little things. I want to see what kind of elk knowledge they have. And they're like, man, I just mimicked that bull, and he fired right back off to me, and I mimicked him again, and we kept cutting each other off. And the bull was probably like, what in the hell is that guy doing down there? Every time I say something, he just repeats what the hell I'm saying. You think a bull thinks that way? I do. You're talking an animal that cows can be 25 years old. You go shake a grain bucket for my horses two days in a row without grain in it, they ain't coming the third day, I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) And you can't tell me that an elk isn't smart enough because we're not just giving them grain. We're going to shoot them with a bow and arrow when they get there. (laughs) So I promise you they're going to get smart.
2: I mean, I think it's reflects back to the same thing when you hunt in the east if you get in an area that's you're hunting coyotes at night and you've been in an area where someone else is calling, calling, call call you you can see the clear difference in the reaction same with turkey gobbles mm-hmm. and anything else it's very it's so similar to turkey hunting it's it's almost scary yeah that's that's a good point point. and you know back to
1: man you said what should people practice i could that could be another three podcast. how far people should practice etc I think people need to become more disciplined in their archery. This is a big, this will be me being on my soapbox. I think they need to be set up properly. Most, 90% of bow hunters, uh, when I've worked on their bows, are shooting too long of a draw uh, because they want to get extra speed. Speed, you know, I used to tell people, if you can't hit what you're shooting at, then speed just means you missed it faster, Mm -hmm. right? So shoot a proper draw and... Again, talking archers, 90% of archers have some form of target panic. Just acknowledge that you have target panic and start working on it. But when you talk about distance, like some of the best practice you can do for a hunt is five yards with your eyes shut, just feeling that shot, getting that bow to go off, right? And then that mental imagery, right, that mental aspect. And there's a big propon- or component to being a successful elk hunter, turkey hunter, deer hunter, what have you, is your mental ability to succeed. Some people just can't do it, right? Because they don't think they can. But you have to have the right mental attitude. If it's climbing the mountains in the west or sitting in a tree stand in the east in 13 degree weather and 25 mile an hour winds, mental you're, toughness yeah i guess it is a toughness but you have to have that mental fortitude to know that this is what you want to do and commit to doing it if you don't commit to doing it you're not going to do it and that's i've seen that so much in hunting and it it's in every aspect of life but you know i can work around certain people and then go hunting with them and expect i can i can have a, a an idea of how they're going to hunt because how they work and it's it's pretty much true you know see, you see what i'm saying so I think a lot of people have, uh, they, sell, they they just become lazy in their mind. If that makes a, yep. if that makes any sense.
3: Yep. I don't that know anymore. Sure. Any more thirteen degrees, I, I, don't, I don't even want to go outside.
0: Well, you wouldn't cut it out no. west. Don't even <laughs> sign up. I'm not taking you. On. <laughs> I want that guy that'll walk until blisters I, are popping. I don't mind walking. His I shoes. don't mind.
1: But well, I David, can tell you, it, there's
2: know
0: that
1: that mental thing and i, I feel like i've <laughs> i've definitely honed my 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 mind because when i was younger i didn't like it no, i don't like yeah. it at all but when the weather when the if it's november and i have a picture of a couple years ago um it was when i got out of my truck it was 11 degrees and 20 mile an hour winds but i was hunting a real big buck and i knew that it was the day right yep and i got in tree stand at 20 after six or whatever it was in the morning and i left at 20 after five that evening i stood on a 19 by 19 platform all freaking day and never saw a deer mm-hmm. now it just when you get the right mindset you can do things you can and that's what allows you to succeed oh yeah and, absolutely. you know talking about a guide understanding his client or a a uh even a, being a successful eastern hunter i've said this before like you have the guy let's just say you take off work and you have like you said earlier uh, colby you have two weeks to hunt right and you take off work and you're hunting in the east and it doesn't matter if you're hunting with josh or anywhere and you go hunting at daylight and then come 10 10 30 you start getting hungry and it's like well let's go to lunch and you go to lunch at 11 you get out of your tree stand or you leave the woods and you go somewhere and you eat lunch and then it's one or two o'clock before you get back right so you got from let's just say 11 to two that's three hours three hours a day all right for five days is 15 hours for yeah. two weeks is 30 hours that's almost a whole nother week of working yeah. that you've missed hunting mm-hmm. see what I'm saying like yeah. so
3: and, and on on that note we, we we have a farm here in PA and're
2: <laughs> we, 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 again, there can be negotiations, <laughs> yeah. but
3: we're we're lucky enough that we're bordered by um, state game lands. Last last deer season, it was last PA rifle season. I know we're talking about the archery, but I I went, parked my truck, I had my pack on, and I actually took in 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 this state game lands. There's walking trails and there's fire pits. Well, I took my lunch with me and I started a fire and I heated my lunch up. And i hunted the whole day you know and that's that was one of the things of like what you're saying you know a lot of people out out in in the east you know you you get together with your group in the mornings
1: mm-hmm.
3: go put on a drive or two or if you're going archery hunting you come out of the woods at nine thirty, ten o'clock you go eat lunch and then you're back you know you there's so much time wasted where you yep.
1: but there's also a thing and you guys are all the same age and hunting together younger years right there's that social component that is why you're all friends to this day and that downtime built on that like you talked about what you saw in the morning so i get both sides of it but the whole mental aspect what i'm saying to be successful we're talking about success right yep. that time spent like you say eating lunch in the woods that that mental preparation And it's a little different Eastern hunters to Western hunters. I think Eastern hunters, you know, you can, there's a meme I've seen on Instagram. You may have seen it. Like they have like a sheep hunter, an elk hunter, and a deer hunter. I've shared that. Yeah, (laughs) Sheep hunter looks like a bodybuilder. The elk hunter is like kind of in shape. And then the deer hunter looks like me. (laughs) Short and fat. (laughs) Like, I mean, but
0: you know, in your mind, you have to be able to succeed. Um, So you were talking about sitting so many days on a tree stand and not seeing anything now on a six day hunt if i don't show you an animal you're something's you're upset you're mad but you just sat that long well, on an archery hunt for yourself yeah. and you expect because you not i'm not saying you let's just say you spent seven seven thousand dollars on gear in this hunt and you just sat 15 days without seeing the right buck, and now you expect to pay this money, and we're going to mm-hmm. go elk hunting, and you want to kill a bull in six days.
1: Well, that would be the let's be real here that would be the first thing if I were the outfitter, you sitting yep. in a sports show, the first thing I'm going to start talking about is success rate. And we talked about it, I think, before we hit record. Everybody, they mm-hmm. come up to me, yep. the first thing
3: yep. they say is 100%. What's
1: your success
3: rate? Yeah, I, I, that's what I want to know. I mean, yeah,
2: I mean, book a pen hunt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I told so, him straight up. You want a hundred percent hunt?
0: Book a hunt, hunting a pen. There's not an outfitter in here that's gonna tell you less than fifty percent on honest opportunity. I mean, you can fudge those numbers around. You should probably be asking him elk questions. If you want to know if he's a successful elk guide, don't ask him his kill percentage. Ask him what the elk are eating that time of the year what their mentality, what their habits are. Because if he knows all those things, he's going to go to kill an elk. I promise you.
2: I think a better question would be, besides what's your kill percentage, um, how many return clients do you have? That's, I think that would be a better, better right? question, yeah. question
0: than yeah. what your kill percentage And then everybody's like, let me give you a reference list. Mm-hmm. And then they yeah. handpick every dude on the reference yeah. list. Handpick it. You're exactly right. Yeah. But when you have return guys, they come back for a reason. Ask those questions that get into the nitty-gritty part of hunting. If I know elk, I know how to go kill them. I called 11 bulls in under 35 yards, and blood was not drawn last year.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, when you say you spend this money, they have to understand that this is hunting in 100% wild in an area, especially coming from the east. This is another big misconception, and I've been west, but not elk hunting. Um but when you're an Eastern hunter, right, and yeah. then you go West for the first time, mm-hmm. and you realize how big oh, the awesome. West is, how vast these—I mean, miles upon miles. Where back here in the East, you can hunt state mm-hmm. game lands, you can hunt anything you want. I can walk. There's probably there not an area around here that I can't walk for an hour straight and find a road or a house. Yep. I would bet it's probably twenty minutes, yeah. and I, you know, straight in one direction and find a road or a house.
2: You're averaging between six and six and 20 miles a day depending on how far you can go archer hunting in the west
1: yeah exactly so consumes you when you see how big the area is not only the area but
2: if you actually get a bull elk 40 yards or less i mean a horse is coming through the woods with a rocking chair on his head i i caught a bull in in 17 yards and the guy never even drew his bow I was Look. watching him from forty yards away. I said, What happened, dude? He goes, Did you see that? Just locked up a lot. <laughs> yeah, just locked just completely locked up. up. I said, Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I also saw you not draw your bow. What happened, dude? He's like, I don't know. I, said, I just watched him. <laughs> Seventeen yards walk broadside right in front of him, broadside. But, yeah, that's still awesome. Net, just just watched shell
0: shock. Just watched him, man.
2: Crazy. Yeah.
0: So you call that bull in and he comes in and the client doesn't shoot it. Now if you would call that bull in exactly that same scenario the next day, that client kills that bull. Mm-hmm. but sure. you're not going to get that same scenario usually in six days right, right because yeah.
1: of mental preparation exactly. right that client was not prepared mentally
2: just i don't i mean he just, is, yeah mentally yeah mentally ill prepared okay. and just the, just the vastness of the country, just the whole thing just the, everything he finally seen an elk and he just watched it walk right there's, by a, there's a
1: big uh, as far as success rates in the west versus east whatever but there's also some guys that are just flat out killers, right? Yeah. Um,
0: there's a big difference. between a, a killer di- and a hunter.
2: There is
1: a big difference between killers and a hunter, and
0: been
2: saying it for years. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> honestly, guiding, yeah, I mean,
1: guiding, you pick them right out. Yeah, I mean, and just being being able to watch critters your whole life, like you know what I mean? Like I, it was, people ask me in the east, it, as I've done a lot of. Um, r3 type stuff taking new hunters hunting uh you know turkey hunting deer hunting in the east and they say you know what what does it what's the number one thing to being successful and i've thought about that i mean you can go access or the ground you're hunting or you know even look at some of the equipment but at the end of the day to be a successful hunter what i find when i'm sitting next to somebody they just being able to understand how critters move mm-hmm. what they do when they should move when they should draw their bow that is the biggest reason they fail absolutely you know because i'm sitting there going don't move right now don't, don't, don't move and they're moving right mm-hmm. or now move 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 and they're not moving it's like why they aren't just, you moving why aren't
2: you drawing yeah. i'm watching you yeah. not draw
1: so it's almost unfair because you get a group of guys like us or you get a group of guys like the mediator crew or you know pick any podcast out there for talking about hunting those guys are usually above the curve you know what mm-hmm, i mean yeah and we have a passion for it and for you and your situation where you're an outfitter now like i said earlier you know you can't pick and choose who's going to pay you to go elk hunting, you know, and that's going to affect your success rate. And that's why you have to be honest and upfront. Like, you know, I guess my sales pitch in the beginning would be, look, success rate is very low. The best chances you have is to get in the best shape you can get, you know, watch every elk hunting video you can watch between now and when you come hunting with me shoot your bow as much as you can from five yards to 60 yards you know this that you know if you really want to be mm. successful and then from a guide's perspective whenever that person gets there and they decide on tuesday or wednesday or you can tell on tuesday or wednesday that they might rather fish take them fishing
3: what comes to my mind is my son you know we, we took him um youth turkey hunting last last uh spring how old is your son Dom's eight and sitting there we we call these turkeys in and of course you know I mean he's never been turkey hunting before so you're you're there wait wait you know you're you're trying to explain to him when is the right time to
0: move when is you know and 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 you can relay Josh to that yeah first time jitters and everybody wants to put a lot of guys refer to elk hunting to turkey hunting that's what everybody you refer to because it's a calling an animal and uh, if you call a turkey and most of the times you're going into a solid setup you sit down and you're not moving much in that calling setup correct you're pretty much there until the bird loses interest or he comes in correct mm-hmm. so now on an elk hunting situation it's more of a dance and it's kind of a misconception because everybody wants to play it as a turkey hunt where you're in a situation where you're based down and not moving one on an elk it might be a movement of an 100 acre area you might Mm -hmm. move on this bull three to four times he comes in and he's trying to sweet talk the cows away from me because i set up a calling setup where i'm a bull and i have two cows and one's an estrus and i'm tending it and this bull he comes in to 60 yards and he bugles and he's letting these little lovey bugles trying to call the cow an estrus off of me from the hunting setup and he does this twice. You better move up there that third time and not sit beside the tree or you're not gonna kill a bull. And mm-hmm. those, are, those are learning curves. Mm-hmm. That's all that learning curve. You're not gonna get it in six days. It's hard to learn. I can, I can go through scenarios with clients nonstop mm-hmm. and I tell them, listen, we could talk about this in the truck for till daylight to hunt the next morning. And when it comes time to do it, you're gonna be shooting from the hip. Mm-hmm. and the heat of the moment, and it's it's and, on.
1: And honestly, you can't really – it's hard to you can't teach, teach experience that. in 20 yeah. seconds or yeah. 20 yeah. minutes away. or that's, even
2: in an hour conversation. For yeah, that. it it's, really
1: is. And, and that's where, as an outfitter or a guide, you just got to go with the flow, man. It is what mm-hmm. it is. Most guys, like you said, John, like guys are going to watch a bull walk by at 17 yards because they're in awe. They've mm-hmm. never saw that before. They didn't even expect it. You know, right. yep. you think about an eastern hunter from New Jersey, right, that has – whatever uh 45 deer per square mile in new jersey and you know and the average size deer is 140 pounds and they get out west and you mm-hmm. call a 700 pound bull 17 yards yeah, it steps like out of the brush and with a rocket like chair it's walking on out its head. for a
2: minute just keeps coming and go, like a clown
0: car how many kids are in this car yeah right with it a rocket rock chair on his head like I, I
1: don't i mean i get it right like mm-hmm. holy shit what the hell am i doing here yeah
0: we grew up in the <laughs> east so learning to be an elk guide it was like the first time you see an elk come walking up through the woods it's like unrealistic
1: we can talk about this because <clears throat> you talked about me being whatever lifelong hunter yeah and i talked about this when you were on my podcast um one of the reasons that i am a lifelong hunter is you know josh's family had a sports shop back in the day mm-hmm. essentially still do um i don't even know i'm trying to think what year it would have been uh 85 they opened. i would say 85 yeah mm-hmm. What year were you born? 85. <laughs> so, I grew up in this workshop. shop. <laughs> first snitches I got was on
0: a plastic three-wheeler in our 20-yard archery.
1: Right, and I shot archery down there, and I was in awe of, and to my knowledge, that group of people that your grandpa grandpa and your grandma had that went west hunting was the first around here that I knew of that were going hunting. Now, I'm sure there were others, or before them, or somebody maybe took them, but on a regular basis, and that, honestly, I can say for sure, without a doubt, that's what set that lit that fire in me was being down at the sports shop and shooting my bow. Uh, your dad, and your uncle, and your and your grandma and grandpa, and you know, and I remember probably when you were seven or eight years old. I don't know. You had coon dogs at that point. I was down there shooting my bow at one point and. You got off the school bus and your dad was like, before you do anything, you got Coons to skin And I remember thinking like, God damn, he's eight years old. going to go skin his yeah. you know?
0: Shot everything. <laughs> <laughs> they were, my family was going out and they're doing DIYs and yep. now I'm an outfitter. Yeah. So that is a hard thing for me to trying to get people's money to take them hunting. And I'm trying to explain to them, if you go with an outfitter, how much money are you going to save? are you going to like learn knowledge of these calling setups of this wind we're going to go over all these things how much money did my grandparents waste
1: but did they waste money but at the end of the day it's what you want to get out of the hunt mm-hmm. right it's 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 it, it, at the end it, it, there's four of us sitting here right now and if you said tomorrow let's go to colorado and buy over counter we'll tax ready in
2: two hours right you know well, what i mean <laughs>
1: well, I let's, let's just go figure it out i'm in like let's go do it
2: yeah, like bell well, bottoms. All hunters doing DIY versus going with an outfitter. That's a good. Who's that? Guys, that's, a I, good I, that's, that's a good I question. That's a good question. hunting at 25.
3: There's no way I was going out there to do that.
2: Right, and that's a good question because I was uh, I was sitting here to w- make waiting to make my point is why like kind of like what Josh alluded to. How much money did his grandparents waste by d- doing DIY, and they had learned that territory. Why not book a hunt? I don't think they and wasted any money. I don't think, which so I don't either. But if for if they for someone, yeah, right, they grew up hunting. For someone who did not grow up hunting, like Morgan's saying, she didn't start hunting until mm-hmm. she was twenty five. Right. Where is my beginning point? You know, why not hire a professional and be like, hey, you know, if you have to go for one season or five mm-hmm. hunts with an outfitter to get a base layer as a beginning hunter, why not learn from someone who does it all the time? That's
1: a good point, mm-hmm. and really this is point. what here's my argument to that. I feel like in everything in life, there should be an apprenticeship program, right? Mm-hmm. If you're if you're an electrician, you know, there's an apprenticeship program. If you're an operator, there's an apprenticeship program. And I feel like when you're doing it on your own, cutting your own teeth, that's that apprenticeship, right? I've mentored, I'm gonna take a stab, two dozen adult onset hunters through the Field to Fork program at QDMA. Um, you know, from everything from when we would bring them in Two weeks early, and and show them what a bow and arrow were, or what a gun was. I mean, they had never even saw one, mm-hmm. right? So, you're right. Have an experienced person is very necessary.
0: It can get you over that learning curve pretty a lot faster than right. spending three years. Well, How much time do you have? So mm-hmm. here's the thing, you, well, it, here's what that, we fail it. to realize as this group of guys growing yep. up
1: in Southwestern PA. Pennsylvania sells anywhere from eight hundred thousand to one point two million license per year. So you have to look really long and hard to find somebody that doesn't hunt. Right? right. Yeah. Exactly. Now when you get outside of here mm-hmm. and you get in other areas, when you say hunt I remember one time I was part of a hunting and fishing expo if you will in upstate new york and we had shooting gun we, we were invited the public to come in if you hadn't we invited kids if you wanted to learn to hunt and fish we were going to teach you and it was through a qdma branch in upstate new york and i'll throwing this number out there maybe and 50 kids show up and i remember we had 22s we had bows and arrows and we had fishing casting right yep. and before you fished you cast at a bucket and right mm-hmm. and i remember thinking okay Like we all had our little stations and I'm at the the casting station and this little boy came up to me and I said, all right, grab that fishing rod and, you know, we're going to try to cast into a bucket. And he said, what's a fishing rod?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right? So that set in perspective for me, Ho, you would have to look long and hard in Southwest PA to find a kid that doesn't know what a fishing rod is. Mm -hmm. Where this kid came from, he didn't know what a fishing rod was, (laughs) let alone how to cast it. So... When you look at everything as a whole, when you talk about some of these hunters that are coming through a yeah. sports show, to, or they've been watching YouTube, or they've been watching the outdoor channel, it's like, I'm 35 years old, I have a bank account, I want to go hunting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they book a hunt, right? So you have to take that all into perspective. It's not that we're any better than them, or they're less than us, they just started. And you're there to show them.
2: Right. I like getting those guys, because it's like a clean canvas. I they think don't, they the don't have many bad habits they don't have mm-hmm. a lot to correct they're like a yeah. sponge for information and they usually listen to what you tell them so when i get a guy that's like hey i'm just learning this show me what you got i'm open i'm an open book i'm like let's get it bud let's go those guys i find are more receptive to listen to what you say than than someone who's you know in their late 40s or 50s or higher and like i've been
0: on 20 elk hunts and you know i know how to elk hunt. Well, you never yeah. hunted here before, so to take yeah. a clean, clean it, canvas. Right? Yeah. So and then you're taking someone and you're elk hunting, and the first thing you're doing is you walk in the woods, is you grab a big limb, John, and pop, and you <laughs> walk over and you stomp on one, and you're making all kinds of noise, and they're like,
2: "What in the Sam? How is he doing?"
0: Dude, we're trying to sound like elk. The Dude, only thing are, that's you quiet hear that elk country's? over there, a thousand yards
2: away, cracking and raking that tree? Well, yeah. Well. You don't hear a mountain lion slipping through,
0: cracking every stick he comes through in the woods. Most animals, it, if they're quiet in the western woods, they're a pad-footed animal. Mm-hmm. Elk are loud. Now, they Especially can be super quiet if they September want to be. Rut. They are super loud. Yeah, so now bull elk. Oh, bull Sounds like a horse walking yeah. through the woods. A dozer. <laughs> yeah. I, sometimes. And then I've had big old bulls come in, sneaking in, dead true. silent, Very and true. not making noise. So... You've got whitetail hunter, he's plenty of experience, and now you're breaking sticks in the woods, big no-no in the whitetail woods. Now you're going to go in at midday, and when that bull's bedding, then you're going to go into bedding areas. Mm-hmm. Another big no-no in whitetail hunting. You don't go in bedding areas mm-hmm. at all. That's... So you're going to go in there, and you're going to try to arouse these bulls and make them fight, and it's not going to happen unless you know how to converse with them elk. You read their temperature. Say you drop down in a calling setup, and that bull, he's got 15 cows down there. And we're talking about all these guys, DIYs, and all this stuff. So he can make four good cow noises. He drops down in there and he starts cow calling. That bull could care less. He has 15 cows there already. He doesn't need another cow, he needs a cow in estra. So you Mm gotta set up this scenario for a first time hunter, and you gotta call that elk in. And that bull, he doesn't really wanna come in unless there's a setup, a scenario built by the caller visual and audio and quiet is not the answer for what no. you're saying so everybody they get these bulls to come in and this is where the a guide with a lot of experience you finally get this bull he's responding to a call he's coming he's coming he's coming now he's at 80 yards and they shut up they're like dude he's right there i'm not gonna make a sound they're scared to move they're sound scared to make sound the bull locks up walks away that's where it's good to have that guide and that person that has that experience because now he's needing he's needing brush cracking that's mm-hmm. the time when that bull is needing reassurance and all that sound to close that distance so that last 40 yards so you can kill him that's where the experience of a guide comes in when you're that diy guy you might not know that little bit of tidbit and you're not successful but mm-hmm. then again on Dink's point what are you calling success are you calling it the killing of an animal you're calling it Going having a good hunt, exactly.
1: Right. And I think that's that's every client. It's, it's going to vary between every
0: client. And you better have, if you want to be an elk hunter, your success better be on camaraderie, the experience in a mountain, and a mountain adventure. Success of killing an animal, no, that's probably that that shouldn't rate up there. And everybody they book a hunt and they, they have this ego thing. Of, oh, John, yeah, I got a hunt here in three weeks. I'm going to be going out to... Colorado or Montana or whatever. So those guys are waiting. Did John kill an elk? If he didn't kill an elk, John's a decent hunter. Mm -hmm. That place Mm -hmm. must suck.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, and I think we're on the downhill side of this,
1: and I just said this on another podcast, and I caught a little bit of flack for it via email, but I'll stand by it. There's something about, and I'm friends with the eater guys, and I'm friends with the boat, the, the, a lot of the guys that are out there doing it. There's something about the the craze that's going on right now with DIY public land. Like yep. you look on Instagram and it's hashtag public land, hashtag DIY, hashtag you know blah blah blah. And it is. There's something about like oh look at me, look at me. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's going to fizzle out. It really mm-hmm. is. And you're gonna the cream always rises to the top, no matter what you're dealing yeah. with, right? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm. At the end, of the, I'm glad those people are doing it. They should How be many of it.
2: those people, in my opinion, are, are promoting something, though? Depends how old they are. I think if you
1: said 30 years and younger, 80%. I think if you said right. 30 years and older, 30%. Well, Social I mean, media has allowed a lot of people to be fake. It really has. It exactly what I'm trying view. to say. Yeah. Now. Been on the inside of a lot of people that have said. Their elk, or their big mule deer, or their antelope, or DIY, and they weren't. They were private ranches, and that's social media too. I mean, Absolutely. I wish. So,
2: I mean, you only post everything and you kill. You don't post everything you don't see. No, yeah. I mean, and not only social media. I mean, these pen hunts ruin it for a lot of things too. It's like, oh, well, this guy here's promising 100. percent Yeah, well. Yeah. Where you know, that's
1: crazy to me that people don't realize that a lot of the... Uh, I mean, when they see that high success rate, that that's high. I can watch a hunt on Outdoor Channel for 10 seconds and tell you if it's in mm-hmm. a pen or not. 100%. Just with the habitat. percent. You know, it's an over-browsed habitat. The, the mm-hmm. browse line's six feet in the air. Well, it's a pen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing I look yeah. at when I watch a TV show. Like, well, <laughs> where's the browse line? Oh, yeah. it's like a fair <laughs> flick. You gotta take everything as it is. But... <clears throat> At the end of the day, I'm glad they're out there doing it because it's promoting hunting and it's still mm-hmm. in a positive light. Oh, I mean, and it it and like I said, ride the wave because it will fizzle out. It'll be, what's the next thing yep. to do? You know what I mean? And and that's with everything.
2: I mean, there, there's there been a fad in golf. There's been a fad in baseball. There's been a fad in... Pretty much every fad you see fades away. And that's the one. Whatever doesn't fade away, that's what I pay attention 100%. to.
0: 100%. One, one thing that we didn't really touch on is scent. And it is huge. I... I book guys, and they don't... Wait, you
1: mean your scent or
0: the elk scent? No, our scent is people. (laughs) It is... They'll show up on Sunday, and by Sunday night, it'll look like teepees in our lodge with Ozonics and all these generators (laughs) running and all this crazy stuff, and... It's a misconception with archery hunters back here because scent is huge and because you're in a stationary place and you're not playing the wind so much, you're wanting mm-hmm. you're playing the wind off a tree stand. Go ahead Dink. No, I just can go all over the place with this one. Oh yeah, this is huge. So here's the
1: yeah. <laughs> this, this is the, a very uh, controversial okay. subject. I look oh, at it. It. Here, it. Here's the science. I'll go there. Here's the I'll, science. I'll go there with you. So I wrote an article and then I did, I, I researched the article, right? But I have 2. Do you points. have those onyx? I do not. Okay. Absolutely not. And here's I'm going to tell you why cuz I'm predominantly a whitetail deer hunter and so <clears throat> I started I started a I started to write an article wind thermals and air currents. I think I titled it. Yeah. And then I started I was like, well, I'm going to change it to like a whitetail nose like K N O W S, right? So to I think scent is everything. I think yeah. there's a big difference between a deer smelling you or why it smelled you and why it didn't smell you. So when I set this article up, and I'm going to try to do this as quickly as I can. um, I wanted to first, uh, when I started to research why I didn't think a deer smelled you or did smell you, it's like, well then I have to prove how well a deer smells. So when I started to research that, there's a lot of interesting studies out there. So I'm going to put it uh, layman's layman's terms. So a, a, Human smells at a level of about four to five million olfactory sensors. So, the, the olfactory sensors are the sensors in our nose that allow us to smell, right? So,
0: they're smelling scarf. D- w- yep. whatever of so <laughs> skin follicles that scurf that's, if,
1: if John would cook bacon over there on, on the stove right okay. all of us in here would smell the bacon had four to five million olfactory sensors we could smell bacon if we were sleeping in the next room over there you wake up to like bacon the smell of bacon or coffee in the morning can wake you up right mm-hmm. and especially in the morning your senses are heightened so <clears throat> then you start looking at okay well the next thing I found uh, German shepherds how well a german shepherd smells so keep in mind a human has four to five million olfactory sensors a german the average german shepherd has 250 million olfactory sensors so i started looking at some of the german shepherds in in blood tracking dogs or police dogs right yeah. so i found an article or a study on on canine police dogs so you might know
0: a little bit about dog scent. yeah
1: you might know a little bit about dog scent so in 9-11, the, 9-11, the World Trade yep. Center, they had a cadaver dog, a German Shepherd, that kept alerting to a cadaver.
2: Cadaver's cadaver is a dead body.
1: It is a dead body. Thank you, John. <laughs> <laughs> I just recently learned this about two months ago. Really? <laughs> yes. <Yeah, for sure. laughs> so this German shepherd was alerting to a cadaver, or as John puts it, a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> layman's terms. Really. really layman's terms. And they kept moving some rubble away, and four or five feet would go by, and they did not find a dead body. And they bring the dog back, and it was still alert to it. So 190 feet later they found the cadaver. They found the dead body. This dog could through all the rubble of the, the World scent. Trade Center. Yeah. That dog honed in on that. At it's 200, amazing. It's an uh, absolutely amazing. So humans again, I'm going to reiterate, 4 to 5 million olfactory sensors. The German Shepherd, 250 million uh olfactory sensors. Yep. White-tailed deer, 330 million olfactory sensors. About right? like my best hound. About like your best hound. <laughs> <town>. Well, <laughs> like you hound. So let me let me talk about that cuz in my article I wrote, uh I can't remember what species of hound it was some sort of trailing hound. Okay. I think it was a walker. Um uh the the New York State Penitentiary, uh, they had an escaped prisoner and this was back in the early 90s. <clears throat> 3 days behind him through downtown Manhattan. They had one article of clothing through this guy who, he was being transferred from one jail to another, and they had an article of clothing. He bust, this dude busted out, right? And they had an article of clothing left behind, and they gave it to, I'm pretty sure it was a walker. They gave it to this walker, and three days behind him, through downtown Manhattan, New York. Now, you know how many people walk the sidewalks of Manhattan? This dog tracked him to an apartment building, and they found him three days later from one article of
2: clothing. and It was a Andy Dufresne, is what you're saying. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. <laughs> Shawshank Shaw- Shaw Shaw- Shaw- Shaw Shaw- 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 Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. He got away. Went to Mexico. So- oh, I got you. Yeah. That's a good... That's a that's a. Good Jesus. Jesus.
0: <laughs> so, White-tailed Deer. question on 7. 330
1: million olfactory sensors. So, now when I want that's how well a deer smells. We can, we've, yep. we we can And some of the German Shepherds now can detect cancer faster than yep. the the most sophisticated MRI machines in the country. Like, you can put somebody in an MRI machine, and they might be able to detect cancer. My dog, and my, some of these dogs can up, come up and sniff people and detect cancer. That's how well they smell. And a white-tailed deer smells better. So, <laughs> now... There you go. That's now, wild. whenever whenever you have... Whenever you have these guys that say I need, you know, I've wore scent lock or I have ozonics or this or that the other, and the buck was dead downwind to me and he didn't smell me. Well, listen, give me the scenario, okay? What was the, what was the barometer? What... You know, where were your thermals? If you're, if, if the barometer was 30, 29, 9 and above in November, and and, and it's a bright, bright bluebird sky, mm-hmm. I mean, thermals it, your rising. thermals are rising like they're in a stovepipe. They're going yep. straight up. Like so it was going towards
2: them, but it was going above them.
1: It was going above them, right? So they're not going to smell you. And then 100%. of a morning, of an evening, this, that, and the other. So now... Here's the other side. Now, do I think that scent lock and all that work? No, I do not. I don't think you're going to fool an animal's nose. You're just not. I agree with that. Okay. Here's the next thing. Now, on the other side. If Ozonics or scent lock or whatever have you gives you more confidence to stay on stand longer mm-hmm. or to hunt harder or to hunt longer use it. Then use it. Absolutely. Because confidence will outweigh mm-hmm. all that other stuff 100%, 100% of the time. Accuracy so, by volume. Yeah. If you if those guys are showing up and they got their Ozonics tents and they're putting all their shit in there, you mm-hmm. know what? Tell them, good job because that's what it's going to take. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean... If you Are feel you better, gonna, 100%. Yeah. If, if you, you look better, you feel better. If you're you going to,
1: you if they say, Josh, am I going to fool an animal's nose? No. But you know what? I want you to be confident while you're out there.
2: Then that's what you need to do. Yeah. The last thing you want to be thinking about an elk 30 yards or less is if he's going to smoke. Shoot the thing. Don't worry about your scent. You know, the last thing you want to think about, if they're confident by putting their stuff in the ozonic tent, freaking build them up.
0: I don't know, dude. I get that dough and estrus scent that's been in there for. A year and they fire that baby up and the whole lodge thinks like it. But I, I understand what you guys are saying. Yeah. That confidence—that's definitely where it's at. 100%. Confidence is. I don't care what you're doing. You can. I mean,
1: some of the. So here's another great thing, right? When we talk about these are way too many statistics that I know, and I'm going to get them. I don't know. Them ex- that's as, why you're on here as fresh as I used to. So I can say this, like when we're talking white tails again, seventy-five percent. That may be a low number of the record book bucks killed were killed prior to the 1970s mm-hmm. think what i just said right That's insane. all this technology that we have mm-hmm. not made it better it's not made it better it's not made a difference in killing giant white tail deer we were killing them with recurve with flannel shirts and blue jeans smoking a cigarette before <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, mean, I mean and i mean i'm a big whitetail guy i mean like some of the the Jordan buck is one of my favorite I mean I mean the Mel Johnson buck I mean he literally had his work pants on his work boots he had them cuffed up and he was sitting along a cornfield and shot this buck at 18 yards with a recurve bow do you really think he paid attention to which way the wind was going now it may have been going perfect but it might not have we don't know chances are it was or I could argue that it wasn't because of pressure right yep. there wasn't a lot of hunters back then there wasn't 12 million bow hunters or not bow hunters there wasn't 12 million deer hunters back then so over time these animals have evolved to stay away from us Exactly. does that make sense they've
0: gotten smarter
1: they have gotten smarter back to these Just elk. back to elk not bugle when there's exactly. wolves
0: back to turkey not goblin because there's coyotes so this technology said that we haven't gotten better over technology so one thing that we don't allow at our hunting operation do not allow mechanical broadheads i make all of our hunters shoot a fixed blade broadhead and i have a 500 grain minimum arrow and broadhead setup really yes
1: that's interesting.
0: Because I have too many times that guys they come out here and they five hundred grains is heavy. It is. It's very heavy, but
1: I mean, you have to take in consideration I shoot a twenty seven inch draw. For me yeah. to get five hundred grains, I gotta shoot a heavy, heavy, heavy
0: arrow. Yep, and if you listen to any of this Archer Paradox, any of this stuff coming out, heavy, heavy is where it's at. I mean, they're getting maximum penetration with high FOCs and heavy splines. And FOC's way more important than a heavy arrow. And that's, uh, so what's FOC for the listeners? Front and center. Yep. That's an arrow. And there's a big controversy over an arrow pushing from the back or pulling from the front. What do you think?
1: It's got to pull. It's, it's got to. It's got to pull from the front. I mean, if you want to shoot well at long distance or – I mean, I'm a big proponent of a high FOC, 16% yep.
0: better. Yep. Get a heavy – shoot, I shoot a nib. I shoot a 90-grain nib and a 125-grain broadhead and – on a 250 arrow and my arrow setup is 637 or something where in there i
1: shoot a 250 grain broadhead Jesus. i shoot a 150 grain broadhead with a
0: 100 grain brass insert okay what broadhead are you shooting dink Wenzel woodsman Wenzel woodsman i'd
1: old school three blade sharpen it with a file Oh yeah, that's the way I like it. Less moving Sexy. parts.
0: Everybody wants to blow this stuff up. They wanted that to have cams I don't even and think they make them anymore. And bolts and all their broadheads and I more moving parts. Back to more moving parts. I mean, guys want to go on an elk hunt with horses and this big rigger moreau And when it boils down to it, the more moving parts on an elk hunt or a hunt period, makes it harder to be successful. I'm a big fan of keeping it simple
1: and. I've studied the man. There's a whole other rabbit hole, but I've studied the penetration thing. I could argue it all day long, but again, keep it simple, right? So exactly. you can argue with me on a tail sized deer if you hit it in the guts with a three-inch cut rage or whatever that it's going to die. Yeah, it's going to die if I hit it with my inch and an eighth cut a woodsman, but I might have to track it further. But here's the problem. Here's where I say, why would I risk? because there comes risk with a mechanical not working, right? Mm-hmm. My three-blade cut on contact, there's no way it's going to fail. There's no way whatsoever it's not going to cut. And the risk is,
2: runs even higher with a thick-skinned game animal like a Thick-skinned,
0: big-bone animal, so, right? So i got a story with this. I was guiding, and I had a client that I'd guided for multiple years. He shows up, and he's been with us seven, eight times. He has mechanical broadheads. We have a fixed blade minimum that's what the outfitter wants he tells me i have rages set up on my boat i'm like man we're just going to let it slide i'm not going to say anything we're just going to not set it up we're not going to run to a gas station not going to find broadheads the way the outfitter wanted we were shut down i let him slide by and what the problem was we ended up calling a bull in a 350 bull the bull of a lifetime he's been elk hunting in montana for 14 years and he's been with us for seven Finally, a 350 bull comes in to 22 yards. He t- hits a piece of huckleberry brush, and it sends the arrow back farther. And instead of maybe it being a fixed blade broadhead and that broadhead going in back high and maybe walling around and killing that bull, it didn't hardly cut up anything. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't have wouldn't have killed the bull if it would have been a fixed blade or it would have killed it if it was a mechanical. But I just felt sickened because of it. I mean. If it was a fixed blade broadhead, it'd been in there grinding around as that bull moved. And I've actually had clients shoot bulls back there, and it cuts that main artery that runs through the tenderloins and below the backbone. And those bulls don't go sixty yards. And that bull was still running around, and we talked about him on our podcast, the first one that we did. That was the six by seven that Walker called in. Mm-hmm. He's still running, and he's, and that was where I let a mechanical broadhead slip through and made it I mean, a different so, outcome.
1: Uh, it'd be- you're not going to kill every bull with a fixed blade broadhead. The Bad shots happen. Right? Yeah. And I read an article titled that. But I, it is science. It's not What's your... The, the problem with what works and what doesn't work is a lot of people think that it's opinion. So there's Dr. Ed Ashby, the Ashby reports. Anybody listening can read these reports. Yeah. Yep. Dr. Ed Ashby spent his life studying penetration on Cape Buffalo. He spent tons of time in Africa. And the most penetration you're gonna get out of a arrow is a two blade, you know, fixed blade broadhead, cut on contact with a single bevel. So like a drywall screw, yep. right? You got it you got it sharpened on one side, and as that as that broadhead enters the flesh and starts turning, it the flesh actually starts pulling that arrow in like a drywall screw. When you're pushing a screw into a board or a piece of drywall, it pulls you. Yep. Well, the reverse happens with a mechanical broadhead, right? As that arrow is flying, it looks like a field point. That's why they say flies like a field point. Well, yeah, it does, because it looks like one. And then when it hits, think of a, a a drag car, you know, a funny car when the parachute comes out, mm-hmm. it's slowing that that broadhead down. Well, when <clears throat> or excuse me, slowing that race car down when that broadhead hits, boom, the parachute comes out. Right now, yep. it goes from looking like a field point to a two-inch cut, which is drag. And it's it's putting the brakes on as it's hitting. When That's the last thing you want it to do. Yeah, you want it to hit animal. turbo when it's hitting. You know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. You want it to go through, spin it and go through. You want hemorrhaging. Yep. So I've
2: personally had three different clients wound elk with mechanicals. Yep. With rages. And look,
1: it can. I've wounded, i be the first to admit, yeah. I've wounded animals and lost them with fixed blade broadheads. But that's because I made so a poor I. shot. I'm say not saying
2: that, but yeah. I'm just saying. It, it can happen. So, it's good segue. For thick skin. We're talking
0: about wounded animals. So, as a client booking a hunt and you see an outfitter that has a wound policy, how do you guys feel if you were to book a hunt and he has a draw blood done? That's another controversial subject, I believe. I, I don't have that with our hunting outfit. We don't have a draw blood and done, and a lot of <clears> outfitters <throat> do because they don't want to spoil their areas. But I think there's way too—all the hunting scenarios that we've talked about— it, there's a million things that could go wrong and there's a small window we've narrowed it down there's a very small percentage of it happening right so what are you going to punish a guy because he hit a twig and he wounded that bull instead
1: mm-hmm. of a draw blood and done i'd have a 40 yard minimum or maximum
0: that'd be a better rule than draw blood and done yeah so right. i got a guy andy Lipscomb's killed a bull at 93 yards it's insane
3: there's places that have that that draw blood done.
0: Oh yeah, oh, yeah. dude. That's many, that's big. many, 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 really. many outfits. It's draw blood. It's over. You're hungry. Whether you're sitting at the lodge. Yeah. Right? yeah. Whether, whether you, you cut your tag them. or not? Yeah, they exhaust the day to look for. It. I mean, they're not gonna like, hey, you shot an animal, you're done. Mm-hmm. They're gonna go look for that. Hopefully, right. I mean, ethically, look for
2: it the rest of the week, if you shoot the first day, but yeah. still, I mean, chances are of the reason, you know getting any meat back, finding it especially during archery season it's done It's you're not getting any meat and, and
1: guys are you get so amped up you want to kill a bull and and again that's where the mindset comes in right you get you get guys and I would be guilty of it I'm sure especially when I was younger like you get so pumped up to go west and shoot an elk and you call a bull and you got John calling you a bull in and it's screaming its head off or whatever and it shows up at 45 or 53 yards or whatever, and it's like, I can make that shot. I can. I know I can, especially because you're used to shooting at a deer-sized silhouette and a bull mm-hmm. looks like the side of a barn yeah. at 53 yards. I know I can hit it, right? Mm-hmm. And you make that, you, you try it, and you don't. You know, you hit it high, you hit it back, you hit it low, whatever it may be. It happens. It, it's going to happen. It's There's not a scenario on the earth where it's not going to happen. I'm so tired of people saying that Wounding animals shouldn't happen. You know what? It should happen. It's just like when they say hunters should all get along. Guess what? There's not a human on the planet to get along with everybody. We all argue about shit. Like, we're all going to wound stuff. It happens, and as an outfitter, as a guide, you know it's going to happen.
2: I think it goes back to what you said about in the 70s, the biggest bucks and bulls were killed in the 70s, even with all the technology out there today. It's still going to happen. It's going to (laughs) happen. It's going to happen.
0: Well, listen, 11 bulls I called in, you know how many arrows got loosened? We keep talking about wounding. How many arrows do you think got loosened in 11 bulls under 35 yards? You told us none. One arrow got uh. loosened. No bulls got shot. No bulls, we didn't draw any blood. One arrow got loosened. In the hunting setup, in the setup of an elk call, there's so many things that have to go right to even get that shot to go off. Everybody wants to hide, and that, that bull starts bugling, and then I can watch my client. They They're like hunkering down in in behind something i'm like i'm throwing pine cones and sticks up there and i'm like i'm trying to make the motion of a ridge and i'm like get on the center of the ridge and you know that elk's going to come right down that center of that ridge and that's where his best opportunity for shot because that bull's going to look down through there and he's going to look 180 degrees to the left and 180 degrees to the right and he can look down in each one of those draws walking down a razorback ridge and the client's hunkered down in behind a blow down on the bottom side of it
2: please get in front of it
0: from it, talking to guys like you and
1: watching videos like i know get in front where you can mm-hmm. shoot but i've i've seen guys make that mistake yeah that, that you're that talking about many many that's we, exactly what i would do if i was a green you're high yeah
2: and that comes from hunting in the east in the so, east yeah
1: you know we, used to, we talked about elk hunting uh being similar to turkey hunting and i've hunted turkeys from wyoming You've to florida a bunch of turkey a yeah, bunch right. of turkey hunts yeah
2: do you sit behind a tree when you turkey hunt
1: no exactly I sit in front of the tree that's a good point
0: but do you do you have a shell on the gun never until i'm calling the turkey once hunt. it's coming in you have a respond from a bird you are getting ready to shoot correct because it could happen at any moment yeah so when right.
1: i was guiding turkey hunters i had a turkey hunter almost kill me one time because he was loading his gun at four o'clock in the morning and it made me think He loaded his gun. He had a pump gun, and he he slammed the the chamber shut, and the gun went off. No shit. Right next to me. And it made me think, like, we're calling gobblers. Like, you don't need a a loaded gun, right, at all. And it's the same thing. Like, they respond. You know when they're coming in. So I walk around with an unloaded gun constantly, and so do my kids. There's no need now. When we're in the heat of the, the moment, quote, unquote, yeah, we get ready to go. It gets game on. But I just think you're you're eliminating risk of something going wrong out of the equation. So back to what we're talking about being equating it to a turkey hunter. and I've said yep. this a lot. I've hunted turkeys, like I said, Wyoming, South Dakota, down south, yep. throughout the Midwest and Pennsylvania. If you can kill turkeys in Pennsylvania, you can kill them anywhere. Yep. Southwestern PA. I've
2: tried to say that for years and years and people are like just don't get it.
1: I don't they don't get it and some people will say they're like shooting, you know, chickens in a pen. Not here they're not. Come on
3: over. Come on over, <laughs> yeah, come, well, on over. On so, come on down so to Fayette County. It's harder here than, than elsewhere it's, it's 20 I killed one times in Montana harder.
2: with a horse brush. <laughs>
1: with a what?
2: <laughs> a horse brush.
0: Stature limitations are up so <laughs> well, yeah. I, he, uh, you whacked it and I threw it at it and <laughs> smoked him down. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but back to that like how I asked you if you were set up, if you were ready to shoot. So, you do a soft calling setup, say bulls aren't viewing. No animals are talking, so your guide, he sets up on a bench a saddle where there's elk elk sign. And he's doing a soft calling setup where there's nothing actually responding. A lot of times I look over and Hunter he's sitting Indian style on the ground with his bow with a arrow, not knocked. Yeah, see that's that that whole not understanding critters, right? That's that whole Exactly it's back to experience. That elk could show up at any point in time. If your guide sets you up, you knock your arrow, you get ready to go and it's it's go time when it happens. The biggest bull that I ever called into my life, I look over and the wind is blowing forty mile an hour. I honestly I didn't think a bull was gonna come in. The wind's blowing forty mile an hour. We there's a bunch of rub lines, so I start rubbing, doing a little bit of bugling, squealy stuff, doing some cows, like I am setting up a scenario where I'm a young bull and I'm running a cow around, and this bulls.
1: I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> that, that's the easiest scenario for me yeah. to tell people.
0: Think of a seventeen or eighteen year old boy that's just as horny as can be, and that's your elk. But then give him that 30-year-old or 40-year-old mentality of cheating on his wife when he runs in someone else's house. I mean, that's, that's how it's going to go. So we call this bull in, and this client, he is over there, and he's taking his jacket off. He's not ready. We're calling, and the bull shows up, and he's folding his jacket up, has his release on. I'm back to throwing pine cones and sticks. Finally, I get his attention. He sees the bull, and he goes into this mode like John was talking about, the client freaking out. I call it fumble fucking. Sorry for saying the f word on here, but it's the best way to analogy to say it. He range finds this elk three hundred times. I mean, it's he's got to finally gets all his stuff back together, arrows on, and he's range finding, range finding, range finding, range finding, and just goes into la la land on this elk yeah. coming in. I could talk about that
1: too uh, quickly when uh, bow hunters range find an animal, especially in that, in that scenario you describe, right? So. It's coming from the tournament yep. side of things. Like, I have to be able to judge to the yard or the half a
0: yard even. Right? Do you think it comes from a practice? Like, as you, an archer hunter, you're like, I have to know my range. I have to know it. Yeah, so, but I think it becomes from knowing your
1: equipment better. Okay. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. So, yeah, sure. if we're going to limit ourselves to 40 yards, if you really, really know your ballistics, quote-unquote, yeah. your your equipment, right? So you know if it's a 40-yard shot and you know you can hold your 40 pin at 36 and still kill it, then it doesn't matter, right? No. So what I do in those scenarios.
0: The bull was at 27.
1: 27 yards, I mean, that's a no-brainer. I'm an inch out of my 20-yard pin, it's over, it's dead. Yeah. And it's the same, Like, like, if I have time, I'll range it to the yard. But yeah. in that scenario you're talking about, I'll draw my bow and look around my peep and be like, it's not 40 and it's not 30, so I shoot it for 35. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, Because if I'm shooting 280 feet a second and it's not 40, I know it's not 40 and I know it's, it's not further than 40 and it's not less than 30, that leaves me at 35. And I'm shooting 280 feet a second and I know at 280 feet a second at 40 yards with my 35 pin i hit two inches low my 30 pin I hit two inches high i'm killing that animal i'm killing a turkey at that far at an elk so So you're not
0: going to tell me the excuse i used the wrong pin because that's not going to fly right
1: it's not going to fly well no it's not going to fly most of the time people miss when they say they use the wrong pin they probably didn't the animal ducked Uh, uh, wild animals have this uncanny ability to get out of the way of an arrow
2: or they misjudge the distance
1: they could have. I mean, There's a But big it has distance. to be by, honestly, for most people, and this is, they would have to be off by exactly yeah. 10 or 15 yeah. yards. Yeah,
2: and an elk, it's even less critical than a whitetail. Exactly. Right, That's why we're,
1: You get somebody, the <laughs> average draw length, you know, is probably 28, 29 inches, so they're shooting 280, 290 feet a second. I mean, you got to be off by 10 or 15 yards not to hit that animal. Most of the time, the animal is on to <laughs> you. They saw you draw. Mm-hmm. So... There's a big difference shooting at an animal that isn't onto you, right? Just feeding, yep, head down, don't even there. They don't hear the bow go off. The bow goes off. Maybe they hear the arrow halfway there. To an animal that sees you draw back, is wide alert like this. Now it's waiting to spring. You know, out of its, out of it, it's, it's going to jump out of its skin when that bow goes off, and it's 35, 38 yards or whatever. So. I mean, a white tail can drop 16 inches, an elk can drop 12, 16 inches easily.
0: A lot of variables. A lot of variables, right? And you're talking about an animal that's calling in, and you're dealing with a mature animal, so we're probably dealing with six to nine-year-old bulls. So when they hit that zone, they are like, did I mess up? Did something happen? They come in and they are in lockdown. So they They're looking, looking for that cow. They're looking for movement. Yeah. Whether it's a hunter or a cow, they're looking for reassurance. Right. Something in that sense And setup. when you're
1: drawing that bone they see you, they're, they're, okay, they're looking like they see movement. Is that that cow that just called me here? Yeah. And then now they're looking for the next
0: movement. You yeah. know what I mean? That's where your guide has to instantly see that that bull stalled up and something's happened and that's where a lot of problem comes in the guide sets up too far behind the climb. i would bet that a high percentage
1: 70 to 80% of wounded animals is a shot that was because the animal moved before the arrow got there not necessarily that the hunter made a bad shot so
3: you have a first time archery hunter out out there a lot of and, times it's... and you have somebody that has seen a little basket rack 8 point or 8 point mm-hmm. whitetail and then you get 4 a, by 4 yeah and you get a Huge elk within yeah, yeah. 40 yards, and and they're full draw, and the only thing that they can see is that massive rack on their head, and, and even a raghorn looks big. But but and then they're looking at the elk, and they they shoot and they miss.
0: It happens yeah. so much. There's nothing you can take do. Take that, that take point.
2: that bull you shot during rifle season uh, last year that had a broadhead in his
0: face. I called that bull into fifth. <laughs> yeah. So we were talking a about a lot it. of
2: people just. Look at their horns and end up focusing on their horns. Tang arrows through their horns, tang arrows right through their face. You were talking about everybody needs to
0: have a range. I called that bull in, and he would not commit for the last little bit. Well, now we know because he was shot in the face with a bow and arrow probably two to three years prior to us killing him with a rifle. But in archery season, I had that bull responding, and he would not commit to the last 40 yards for a shot to be done. So – I could sense that the scenario was wearing down and he was losing interest with he's like something's not happening there's not no so i'm i'm motioning to my client and i usually have an apprentice guide that comes with me and i'm like go to him i'm making motions go to you make a shot go to you make a shot and he's like what are you doing i'm like run at that freaking bull until you get within bow distance and shoot him and they're like dude run at him yeah get Get in a good cover and move into that bull until you can make a shot. So he got within 50 yards. That bull seen him. Shot didn't happen. He refused to shoot over 50 yards. The guy was a killer. I watched him shoot all week at our outfit. But he drew that line at 50 yards, and he would not shoot that bull. Good for him. Yeah, and we're talking about these scenarios where guys are just they're, they're freaked out. Another one that I had, he's like, what are we going to do? We're going to try to call that bull out of his bed. I was like, no, sir. We're going to go right in challenge bugle freak him out at the last minute because we've already caught him in once This is a last-ditch effort whenever it happens I'm gonna move out of the side you're gonna shoot this bull and it's gonna be like under 20 yards and he looks at me like what are you talking about you got 30 seconds to make a shot shooting from the hip what do you do do you make it or break it this all happens and the shot comes off at 18 yards now he tells me he shoots the bull in the neck no, uh, he missed it. <laughs> <laughs> I have I'm terrible about uh sitting waiting for wounded bulls and on that situation he told me he shot the bull probably in the neck and I was like, Oh man. <laughs> we had to let that bull go four and a half hours, snuck back up there, walked right back in, replayed the scenario. I walked up to a dry stump, pulled the arrow out. Probably still alive today. I actually bugled right before dark as we was climbing down off the mountain, then he bugled back at me. And you could tell because he had this real nasally sound, and that was the same bull that we killed in that late rifle season. So, Dink, what do you think? Bring in a a guy that killed a lot of big bucks, killed a lot of successful whitetails that are hard to kill. What do you think you need to do after all this? You're a more experienced bow hunter than me. Yeah. And I'm going to guide
1: you. I would come out and listen 100% to you. Like, I, again, I, w- I know what critters do, right? But yeah. I don't know what elk does. Like, I mean, I'm going to rely on you. I know topography. I know wind. I know mm. thermals. At the end of the day, if I'm not listening to you, I'm probably not going to be successful.
2: Some of the most, well, pretty much all of the most successful hunts I ever had guiding was guys that showed up with the mentality of, how can I help you as a guide? Help me as a hunter. Yeah, exactly. And the second
1: thing is bring work ethic, right? Mm-hmm. Be willing to go hard. Like, no, I'm going to sweat my ass
2: off. No, I'm going to be tired. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to eat well. Definitely. That extra losing weight. Yeah. <laughs> if you show up with mentality, I'm coming. Leaving here later than I came.
0: There's a higher chance we're killing something.
1: That's a good point.
0: Oh, that three. should be your selling. point. <laughs> no, my selling point is you give That's me six. Point. <laughs> you give me six days of hard hunting. I'll give you elk eating for three
1: hundred and sixty-five. Yeah, elk eating and but six days of hard hunting and. Minus fifteen pounds on the scale. Yeah.
0: Good so, Colby, tell me I your think, final thoughts. Yep. I think my
3: biggest takeaway is if you are planning to do this, meet, meet the these outfitter. outfitters. You have that money saved up that you want a, a, a hunt of a lifetime. You need to get out, talk to these outfitters. You know, establish that relationship. I mean, if I go and talk to somebody and I'm like, like this guy is just the, the vibe that he's throwing yeah. out. Like, I'm not gonna go with him. I'm, I'm not right. gonna. I'm not gonna give him my money. Whenever I can talk, come to you and talk to you and be like, you know what, he's me. He used the same mentality, you know, and I think you just jive off the beginning. I mean,
2: that's my takeaway. I mean, we didn't cover a lot of, you know. No, we run around everywhere. Every single rabbit hole. That's how I like it. It's a good basis of what, (laughs) you know, what
0: you might want to ask and where to start at. My, My last take to it is the success of a hunt probably isn't based around the kill of an animal. It should be camaraderie. It should be hunting ethics, the camp life, the experience of the hunt, the adventure, if you're basing it around completely a kill percentage, you're not going to have success, period.
1: out just you. business usual again.